friend, it's time for Mandatory Redistribution Party. The Alpha Wolf, the supreme leader of the pack. His absolute dominance and status as biggest boy built on a foundation of thick muscle, glistening fangs, and just being better. He's the best wolf. He's the best wolf. The Alpha's shadow darkens our imaginations. His masculine howl echoes through the discourse of politics, business school seminars, and up artists, making everyone scared and impressed. The best way to become an alpha? Uh, well, by, by, uh, by supporting us on uh, Patreon, but unlike our Patreon, yeah, the Alpha Wolf doesn't exist, so that's, that's questionable advice. Um, nonetheless, uh, we, we do put a shift in on this podcast, and we're hugely grateful to those of you who support us. Thank you. Um, so, through this lens of the Alpha Wolf, which has poisoned many men's minds, this episode's about social status, the beliefs we have about who holds relatively greater or lesser social value. Get stuck in. And do you think being a comedian makes you more or less alpha? Alpha. Okay, so like, alpha I need wolf. to accept the idea of alpha. Well, you can totally reject it if you want. No, but I, I understand what it means, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm scared of using the word alpha. Like, I want to accept this <laughs> strange tearing of people. Um, no. Hmm. It depends, because comedy is like a facet through which people deal with all kinds of different neuroses. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people are using it, especially like American-style comedy. Mm. A lot of people are using comedy to become alpha. They're using it to become Chris Rock. And they want to use the fact that I go on stage and I know just what to say. And i am like got a few jokey, witty lines in my back pocket as a way to dominate in the conversation. But the cultural milieu that me and you exist in is people using their comedy to deal with the fact that they struggle to just exist in their own brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it has given us, like, I don't know about you, but I was like a weird, anxious teenager. Mm. And I wasn't like unconfident, but I was confident in my weird, bedraggled group of select friends. Mm. And outside of that, I was like a mud skipper left on a kitchen surface. <laughs> the notion of alpha is like a super aggressive, dominating figure. Yeah. But the person who, if we just reduce it to status, which is what we're really talking about here, yeah. someone having status in a group, you could take someone who is like an alpha. Mm hmm. I don't know, Robert Downey Jr. Who's yeah. I, I don't, uh, Vegeta. Right. <laughs> put them at an alternative comedy night. Yeah. Or put them at a book club. Okay, yeah, sure. Then they would see their social You're saying status. That alphas evaporate. rely on people not leaving the select environments in which they're alphas. Yeah. I'm saying uh -huh. sta status is derived 
is situational. Mm -hmm. Status is situational. And that, so then being an alpha is situational and certain behaviours will be rewarded in some circumstances, whereas they could actually be very negative in others. Yeah, and there's a pattern that you'll see that sort of vindicates that idea within certain areas of comedy because there's club comedy mm. and then there's like these weird fringe nights that we seem to subsist in. Well, and you can go vice versa. So we've, we've probably both seen the phenomenon of club comic at alternative night, alternative comic at club night. I've seen the latter far more than the former. Because yes, a club comic, because a club comic has no reason to go and seek out the weird nights that we require. I have seen club acts ostensibly, you know, try and do like new stuff uh -huh. at alternative nights yeah i've seen that as well uh and it not be great mm. or at least be weird be noticeably weird yeah because they're not bad and it doesn't mean they're bad it's just it's changed the situation's changed there's something we understand because weird comedy is not the norm so we understand yes. when we've gone into a very clubby environment yeah, yeah, yeah and just for listeners who aren't like aware of the distinction we're talking about i don't want to start using the terms if they're not club environments are the big clubs and big clubs are very weekendy and they definitely rely quite a lot on their wet sales as well mm. which is the sales of alcohol so they're known for being a little bit more raucous is the stereotype of that but then within that are nights like the gong shows which lean into that quite a lot they actively encourage a certain criticism of the acts hostility yeah, hostility, especially like the London King Gong show is like famously one of the most hostile shows a new act could possibly do. And when, I mean, that's that's the gig I, st I started at King Gong in Manchester. Right. And then that's the thing of circumstances, the circumstances to take that reflect back into the kind of comedy mm. you do, right? But I'm saying that we, we're more keenly aware of the distinction because... Mm we went towards what we only knew as the only depiction of what comedy was, which was these big clubs. Mm. And then we went to the alternative scene, like the fringe scene, mm. and then we learned the difference between them. But when you're a club comedian and everything's working for you within that environment, which is the main environment, you go, well, this is comedy. I'm good at comedy. Yeah. And you can go into an environment which isn't that and be like, well, I'm a good comedian and this should work. So while they're not like necessarily worse at comedy, they lack a certain instinct that we have had to gain for our own survival mm. of being like, what does this specific space require mm. and what element of my act should I shave off because it will not be welcome here. <laughs> Which is a skill in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's definitely the overall point we, we want to take away is status is determined by context mm -hmm. and isn't innate. There's a Chinese proverb that I have heard and I've struggled with it all my life. I'm genuinely, this is a Chinese proverb I heard when I was a teenager mm -hmm. and it's of a great archer yeah who's coming to a village right and this and everyone's showing this archer respect archery 100 yeah this guy's like one of the masters of archery yeah and he can like shoot an eagle out of the sky from miles away and oh, like shit. that's superhuman like, yeah, we're intimidated yeah. by Sick. you and then one person doesn't bow <gasps> and this like archer master warrior goes hang on you're not showing me like the due respect that i've earned through my years of warfare yeah and this guy goes no hang on actually and he takes out a coin and the old Chinese coins had small yeah, yeah, holes yeah. in them. Put string, yeah. And he pours oil so that it goes through the hole in that coin without <gasps> yeah, touching the sides. Correct. doesn't touch the coin at all. And then the archer goes, I was wrong. And he <gasps> bows to the guy. And the message of the story is, mm. if you're good at something, that is worth respect no matter how like it's viewed within culture. Mm. But... From from when I was like thirteen to now, I'm like, no, but pouring oil through a coin is useless. <laughs> That's not helpful. Well, no, shooting an eagle from far away is not necessarily useful either. No, but it's to demonstrate but, but yeah, that if there yeah. was a war, yeah, you could yeah, do yeah, some yeah. impressive has, stuff. 
this guy could be in charge of a castle where the invaders coming through and, and um, in the portcullis it's all clogged they're all coming in it's all clogged <laughs> except a tiny little hole and they go what are we going to do there's only this tiny little hole yeah. have we got a funnel no we haven't got a funnel we haven't got a funnel and it can't touch the sides what about, get Tony <laughs> get, yeah if it touches the sides it will set this on fire because the oil yeah. is so hot can we cool it down? No, no. Yeah, the sides are on fire. So if it touches the sides, it will take the fire yeah, down. Yeah, kill it. Like burn us. Yeah. Get Tony. And he does it. Yeah, no problem, lads. Yeah. It's got I him. mean, you have to like sort of MacGyver some incredibly specific situation for that to be useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get, uh, yeah. So I'm saying there's limits. Stop. Yes, your level to which you are on alpha is based on context, but there are some people who must have to like exist in very weird or bad context well, in order to get their shot of being an alpha. That's the thing, isn't it? If, if certain skills are rewarded by the social structures that are in place that mm -hmm. have developed through hundreds of years or whatever. Uh, take like capitalism or the patriarchy or whatever. So mm -hmm. like, you know, the stuff of um, a lot of successful CEOs, there's a higher proportion of them are like psychopaths or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's because the- We reward those things. Because we reward psychopathic behavior. It's not because being a psychopath is necessarily good. It's just because the system exists that rewards those behaviors, mm -hmm. you know. And then there's, you've got a whole like self-help community of, it just assumes the system is static. Yeah. And how do you improve yourself? How do I become a psychopath? Please help. Yeah. It's that, it's that thing of like the self-help industry needs people to never fix themselves because how would they sell more self-help mm -hmm. books and then education which is geared towards more and more making people like effective and profitable workers yeah you know all that kind of employability shit but i'm more thinking about the social dynamics of stuff on like a micro level like interpersonally mm -hmm. do you think being an alpha is a even a thing or b desirable uh is it a thing do you think it's a thing do you think like socially like well, because people so try to be alphas or, you know, are people doing that? Is yes, that people try to be alphas. Do they succeed? Well, because it's like a social construction, right? Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't say so. They'd be like, no, we're wolves. Yeah. So we must organise like wolves do. Yeah, yeah. But we're not wolves. Uh, <laughs> massive truth bomb for you. <laughs> we're not wolves. Could uh, be werewolves. But if people want to um, indoctrinate themselves in this idea of, uh, having a wolf pack mentality that needs to have these tiered hierarchy and you've got enough friends who believe it, mm. then yeah, you can be an alpha. Being an alpha is just like being recognised as being an alpha. So it can exist. Well, yeah, because if enough people that surround you believe it. Yeah. But is it real to the extent that people outside your framework could get caught up in it? Yeah. I mean, first of all, like, like just a little bit of the like science stuff. The guy who originally came up with the term like alpha wolf, mm -hmm. do, you know, do you know about this? No. So L. David Meech came up, he wrote a book about wolves. Mm-hmm did some study in national parks about wolves. And he was like, yeah, wolves, there's this alpha wolf. And then he did more research. He was like, oh, I've got this alpha wolf. And it was like a best-selling book. Did more research and was like, oh, I'm, I'm very badly wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> and then he tried to remove his old, his successful book about alpha wolves from circulation, but it was just yeah. out there. Yeah, he's gone. Out, he's got out. no control over it. And then like loads of people believe in it. And then he's trying to do talks like, no, no, this is wrong. I'm the guy who came up with it. This alpha wolf thing is wrong. There's not alpha wolf. It's yeah. bullshit. Like you say, even if alpha wolves were a thing, applying it to humans doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But then people would go like, oh yeah, but chimps, chimps have like an alpha, but they're like closer to us than wolves, which is because like bonobos are closer to us than wolves, aren't yeah. they? And they have like matriarchal societies. But and we also don't need to do all the weird sex stuff that bonobos do all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I think bonobos like fuck as almost like a form of grammar. Like it's... <laughs> 
Like it, it doesn't mean the same thing for them to have sex. They just do it as like a weird transactional killing yeah. time kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of it as a form of grammar though, like a sentence, yeah. a bonobo, when communicating with a bonobo, it can be a question or not, depending upon whether it ends with sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an inclusive or exclusive or depending on whether or not I come. <laughs> The person who did the studies on chimps, yeah. Franz de Waal, or Wall, I don't really know how to pronounce their name, W-A-A-L, uh-huh. is how you could Google it if you want to research, which is what you really need as a listener. Um, there are alpha chimps, so there's chimps who have status over other chimps, but they can get that status by like being kind, mm. uh, grooming other chimps, or distributing food. Yeah, providing things that other people might appreciate. Yeah, so they may be physically weaker and less yeah. aggressive than another chimp. And they also make little coalitions between each other. So say there's one like big aggressive chimp, mm-hmm. two weaker chimps might be like, well, that guy's a dick, and then maneuver themselves into a higher status position over one big guy. Mm-hmm. So there's no alpha wolves, but there are alpha chimps. But the way to become alpha is kindness, perhaps. Or Machiavellianism. Or Machiavellianism. But, <laughs> Which but, maps onto human behavior a little bit better yeah, a little than bit better. Uh, being a jock. <laughs> like Machiavellianism isn't compassionate but it doesn't map onto the way alpha malehood is depicted. Machiavellian sneakiness would be like beta behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than, you know, in the the language of the the manosphere, the language of these people. Um, But like you said, manosphere, like alpha, you know, we're not hearing this alpha talk from like teenage girls. No. When I think of alpha talk, I'm thinking of like the new... It's red pill. Yeah, the new Western masculinity. Guys who hate women, but are also obsessed with how to get women and Mm. please women. (laughs) So I've got a friend who works in food hospitality. Mm. They talk about how the chefs are like always really toxically masculine gordon ramsay like yeah and i've Mm. like when i was a teenager i worked in a kitchen it was like there was this strange like bravado Mm. of the chefs and especially when they're like younger and they said to me like that's because cooking is coded female right Mm -hmm. it's a nurturing thing to give someone else food right and so of course they're like i'm not going to be triple man so that i can undo all the woman energy of serving you a delicious (laughs) baked loaf of bread so patriarchy's coded cooking as feminine and then as an effect of patriarchy doing that they then have to behave in that stupid way yeah they still want to be chefs because chefs it's like a high skill job and you can like there's a career ladder within Mm. working and catering but you've got to be like oh i'm the biggest man here throwing plates at everyone yeah right so i I think the masculinity is an invention because previously only women were defined as the other right this goes back to like simone de beauvoir and stuff Mm. women are the other yeah and so men don't need to have special attributes. A man can be anything. Yeah. And a woman has this limited thing. Mm. And then now, feminism has had a lot of successes. Mm. Women can now be a lot of things. There's still loads of pushback and reaction against that. But like feminism has been a successful social movement in that it has achieved things. Yeah, some things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that yeah, feminism yeah, yeah. is doing anything. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that it hasn't been a completely inert, ineffective yeah, movement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But that's what some of the red pill bullshit is a reaction to, right? But that's it. Women, so, so, women have yeah. slightly more autonomy. So m- men are reacting in a way of like, how do I regain as much power yeah. as I have And before? so part of that reaction is because they believe that all these gendered creations of the patriarchy are like mm. these truisms we are different well like different species yeah, yeah, yeah and so they look at femininity as making gains then they turn back and they go okay so what's masculinity yeah but then if femininity is like you know in a lot of ways everything that's coded feminine is everything like nice <laughs> yeah gentleness yeah, kindness, yeah, yeah. listening 
making yeah. someone a lovely soup when they're ill. Yeah. Like almost all aspects of compassion are about female. Yeah. So if you're turning to masculinity and you go, we need to shore up this end of the fence, mm. you've basically turned every aggressive or brutish behavior into being like, that's my identity and that's the club that I'm going to try and fight for. Like, I suppose there are, like, some aspects of masculinity that uh, may be positive. Like, none of it seems wholly positive in the same way that mm. making someone a cup of tea <laughs> yeah. is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it, all this alpha stuff comes back into people trying to represent just all the leftovers you can have as a human being when compassion's off the table. I was thinking about, you know, the alpha thing mm-hmm. and where it came from. Because I've seen people talk, I've, I've had conversations with other comedians about this mm-hmm. about like status in your act and the necessity of status and how hard it is to do stuff that's more like low status with the audience in mm-hmm. a and that, that that is a real thing like i think certain audiences if you don't establish yeah. a right to be there they like smell fear and then you're fucked yeah. and you can't it's almost easier to go high status to low status something later in the set than vice versa like yeah. once you've lost status with an audience once if they think you're struggling then they they could turn on you, yeah. and a lot of it comes from intent. You could be doing something like like a low, behaving as a low status character on stage, but if you've already got a TV show or something, mm-hmm. they'll be like, "This person's doing this intentionally. I understand this. I'm in." But if it's just someone who's like brand new, they'll be mm-hmm. like, "This person's obviously making mistakes and mm-hmm. is bad," and then respond to the same material and delivery in a radically different way. Yeah, depending on like what status is. So kind of, I think comedians think a lot about status and you've done you know the bit you used to do a while a while back where you just like stop audiences from laughing Mm -hmm. that's a really high status thing to do right yeah well they're like status is a complicated thing and you can like make all these strange exceptions to it because the bit i was trying to do so like there was a bit that i did like a few years ago I think you'll find a recording online somewhere recording online somewhere recording online somewhere Searching internets for Sean Morley stand-up content. BBC mainframe identified. Hacking, hacking, hacking. Access landed. Wow, it's me, Sean Morley, top lad, big friends, always tries his best, ready to bring out some of the biggest jokes, absolutely smash the roof off, really bang it out tonight. Then... <laughs> Guys, I haven't actually done anything yet, so laughing at... <laughs> Guys, I haven't actually done anything at this point, so laughing at this point's actually uh, quite disrespectful, I'd say. <laughs> Guys, I don't know why there's an insurgency here on the front row. All I've, all I've done, to my mind, is come out and say, I'm going to be competent, and you've taken one look at me. <laughs> Guys, don't start joining in with the front row. Guys, I've had a lot of trouble here with the front row. I'm very glad that the sides here, who can only see me in profile, have decided not to enjoy it. <laughs> And I can only thank you for that, given that I've got a core audience here at the front that just seem flippant, dismissive and ter... Do you see what I mean? Like, they're so... They're so... They're so vying for attention, I nearly need to mention them. The last adjective there was going to be turgid, and they couldn't... All right. The far, the far right is a lost cause. And take that phrase in as many ways as you want. I'm only going to be referring to the left brethren, and if that has to be some kind of um, in a bubble where we only really hear our own thoughts on social media, then so be it. I'm only, I'm only really going to be performing to the far left tonight, if that's okay. 
okay, the far left is way too self-congratulatory. I'm... <laughs> Looks like I'm a moderate once again. Um, and just for those listening at home, I'm very sorry, that whole opening segment was very spatial, and it requires you understanding the semicircle of the room that we're in tonight. I apologise if you don't... Uh, if that didn't really make any sense to you. I'm not used to performing on radio and therefore to people who, by the trapping of the medium, are both in the future and blind. <laughs> Too hard a demographic to really appeal to, I apologise. Um, guys, just before I move on to the meat of my material, which I've um, been kept from doing from a small... Cu- <laughs> guys, you, you've, beca- you've gone rabid, you've gone feral, so... <laughs> Okay, I can have you removed. Okay, I'm just going to talk over then. Um, just before I move on, just as a mark of respect, before I get into the meat and bones of my material, it'd be really good, um, just as a mark of deference, if um, all of us together to just quickly stand for the national anthem. <laughs> So I just feel like the humour just found in this room has been taken out of my hands. And it's, I mean, is there another gig that you guys are listening to? I've just come out and I've made a pretty straightforward res- request to just show a little bit of respect. And you guys are just crying. You're just crying to yourselves and your sweat is merging with your tears. And, and you look squalid. Guys, um, I'm just going to re- repeat that again. Maybe the intonation came out wrong and people <laughs> mistook it as some kind of joke. Um, hi, I'm Sean Morley, top lad, big friend, always tries his best. And <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. No, why... No. Only clap if it's on the basis of something I've done, not some kind of emergent thing you've hallucinated between yourselves. No, because the problem here is I just came out and I asked for something really nice and polite and it's been coloured by these guys and then it can't stretch further back because people are going, oh, there's people laughing at it now. It must be some kind of ironic thing about nationalism. But that's not actually come from me. It's come from 40 strangers that have sat at the front that have coloured my entire act with a, with a lace of irony that I can't seem to remove. And that seems to be like an unfair context in which I should ever be expected to flourish. Well, guys, I've come to the end of my set now. And, um... <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, I've been Sean Wally. And the whole premise was like, I'm just trying to introduce myself and like set up what I want to do. Mm. But I'm saying it in this really f- frantic, over-the-top way. And when people laugh, I'm like, oh, I'm not doing a joke at this bit. This is, I'm just trying to introduce myself. Like, <laughs> I'm not this is who I actually yeah. am, so don't laugh at this bit. And then when people laugh at that, which is the, the intention, I'm like, oh, hang on, please, because I'm, I'm just asking to show a bit of respect. Okay, I'm a comedian, I'm here to make you laugh, and you know, we all understand why we're here, but please try and respect me. <laughs> and if I'm lucky, that will start to catch, and I just end up battling against that, and I'm like, please let me start my set. If you keep interrupting me It's amazing, me because the words you're saying... Mm-hmm. are like low state you know please respect me you're you yeah. know you're undermining me you're like mm-hmm. begging an audience for something yeah. but actually the audience understand and what's happening is that you're in complete control yeah and being very funny i really i think that is an interesting tool of the comedian of like playing with status 
but apps mainstream clubby stuff mm-hmm. particularly like uh, the mainstream american stuff that's on netflix or whatever is so like high status mm. i think the onus is on women more you know there's the expectations for all acts on a club night to behave in a certain way mm. but the expectation for women is to do it like even higher is to do it you need to plus you need to 100%. give me respect on parity with a man and to do that it's like if you were ever to hope that getting more women into mainstream comedy mm. would help soften the masculinity of it well in some corners i don't think that's the case because women in order to just be allowed into those spaces mm. they need to perform the same masculinity 110 percent just to be considered valued it's exactly the same as the business thing of mm. like yeah or politics now that women are in this space we're going to ensure they have to be ruthless in order to stay here yeah perform the male aspects the, yeah. the coded male aspects of this role in an even more exaggerated way yeah. to assure the audience who's bought into those ideas yeah that that's the case and also as well like not to be like acting like it's a personal failing of any of these comedians that they're not mm. like <laughs> coming out and whispering <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> comedy is really uniquely nerve-wracking and if mm. you like give yourself the bravado when you perform mm. it helps you a lot to get into like this idea that you're playing a character and it mm. it helps you not get just absolutely attacked by the idea of i'm up there and there's a hundred people down there and what, what the hell's going on and I'd say, like, the staging of comedy, which, again, is like something I do in my new show, there is coded status inequality just into the practicalities of staging. Yeah. We put our comic on a stage and a light show that's, like, not just there for practicality. Mm. You're there to be like, listen to this one. They've yeah. been allowed up here. Look how important yeah, this You are looks. sat in darkness. They yeah. are illuminated. You do not have a mic. They have yeah. a mic. If you speak, they will go in at you. Yeah. yeah. But then that's the thing, isn't like like... Think of the popularity of Comedian Destroys Heckler mm. as like a YouTube or Facebook video. Yeah, you want to see him. You want to see the like the piranhas swarming. Yeah, because yeah. that's why a lot of people are afraid to go to comedy nights or aren't yeah. enthusiastic about going to comedy nights because they see that kind of content and they think, oh, that's what it's going to be. And a lot of people, if it aren't comedians who talk to you, are like, oh, how do you deal with hecklers? And it's like, well, actually, it's very it rare. It rarely happens. And actually, having a heckler is one of the easier things to possibly deal with as a comedian. You're sober in there, not more often than not. Yeah, right. And but just like everything else. the audience doesn't want a drunk shouting out person to win this altercation. So you just need to be like mildly dismissive and then get back to what's going on. And everyone's, everyone's, they've got, you've got their sympathy. Do you know what's worse? It's just the energy of a routine just slowly tapering out. <laughs> <laughs> That's unsavable. Yeah. That's like an absolute yeah, thing. No one ship. asks you about that. Yeah. How do you deal with it when like you say something that doesn't quite land and it slowly erodes the trust over the next 20 minutes of the show? Yeah. How do you deal with it when uh, a joke that's worked the last 30 gigs just suddenly doesn't yeah. and then you lose confidence in everything that's coming after? <laughs> How do you deal with it when you're like 40 minutes into a show and you forgot to set something up in the first 15 minutes and the next joke that everything you've been saying relies on is based on a piece of information you've not given them, but you can't assemble a new punchline to this joke. Oh, please keep that in mind as uh, people start doing previews over the next few months. Yeah. That's like talking about the status thing specifically to comedy uh-huh. and in that circumstance. But a lot of this red pill anti-feminist thought mm-hmm. either comes from or simply overlaps with the pickup artist yeah. community i love the idea that it's an art we've got a friend mm. who did some filming in a location where previous to it there was pickup artist stuff going on in it and they were waiting for them to do their get out so they can come in and set up for yeah. filming a comedy show yeah yeah, yeah. uh 
And he just went in and went, well, you know, why wait out in the curb? Let's yeah, see yeah. what this is. Yeah. And he said they organized themselves remarkably similar to how a comedy night works. Right. They've got multiple pickup artists on a night and like where you are in the pecking order will determine where you are in the order and also will determine your fee. They've got a circuit. And they just do talks. It's like a mixture of TED Talks, but they're all just about but, pickup so, artistry. But it's more culty because all we're offering is laughs and maybe something, maybe hopefully, some, maybe hopefully something else as well. Yeah. <laughs> that extra X L- factor. Yeah, yeah. Data. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, so Pickup artists are explicitly saying, like, we can get you sex. We have magical yeah. skills, this one weird trick to get or sex or whatever. Mm. It's a, it's like a cult. Would comedy be like a cult if it promised you a tangible result after the fact? What would comedy need to become a cult that pickup artistry has? Just saying it'll make you taller. Cults always descend into either weird ritual sacrifice or weird sex stuff. But with pickup artists, the weird sex stuff is in the market. It's like in the market. It's the promise. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not like oh we promise no, you normal has, sex. It stuff. has turned out that the leader of this cult is involved in weird sex behaviours. Well, that's and what we the want cult from has him. To clap. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's what we want from him. That's what's in the market, and we're paying a thousand pounds to get that get close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our friend said that the people who attend these, all men, obviously, but they're all like built. They all have clearly been to the gym, jacked. Yeah, they're jacked, but nervous. <laughs> right. Oh, that's... Like, well, of course they are. Yeah, like, they're, yeah, yeah. They're, their whole thing is they got jacked because they're nervous. Yeah. They didn't deal with the like the strange and certain way they behave and talk. They just got biceps. Because everyone in there, by going there, if, if, if we assume that everyone there buys into mm. the status of betas and alphas, everyone's gone to hang out with all the other betas. And there's just this one alpha that like swans in and out. And the betas wish to learn how to become an alpha. But I think they conceive of themselves as, it's weird because it's, you know, there's loads of YouTube videos about like seven habits of a billionaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of like, oh, I'm going to learn behaviours that will make me succeed. But they envision themselves as future billionaires that are not yet billionaires. Yeah. Temporarily embarrassed billionaires. Yeah. So they're temporarily embarrassed alpha male sex gods. So they're like, well, I don't know how to do that yet. But once yes. I learn the tricks from this guy, yeah, I'm an alpha. We're I've all got alphas the body in here. For it. Look, Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all alphas in here. Alphas learning from other alphas. <laughs> we're all alphas in here, right? Yeah. yeah how do you do, fellow alphas? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how I imagine how they talk. Well, I don't just think they say, how do you do, fellow alphas? Yeah, I'm imagining Steve Buscemi with the T-shirt and the ACDC. <laughs> but I, don't, surely they're not like trying to get status over each other. Because if they do think, oh, I've got to have alpha status, there can't be multiple alphas, but they must believe themselves to be potential alphas. I don't necessarily agree. Right. If this mindset can like exist long enough and like fall upon enough people, yeah. I think you'll have biological determinist red pillars who are like, no, I'm a beta. It's not great, but hey, what are you going to do? Fuck. Well, red pill exists on a spectrum to black pill and in the middle is incel, right? Yeah. And so the incel is the people like... Uh, I guess I'm like a gamma or a delta or whatever. So they've bought that's into the ideology but failed at it. Yeah, that's not yeah. like incels are people who believe that there is a hierarchy, there is biological determinism. They have been given the bad end of the genetic stick and they cannot ever break out of that. But the premise of pickup artistry is that there are five tricks that women don't want you to know. Yeah, yeah, they think they've got speech 100 and they're going to teach you how to do it. You just mm-hmm. need to say these things. One of the ones I'm particularly fascinated by is this guy who calls himself Tyler named after Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Oh, yeah, he's who you want to be. Yeah, so uh, he's like an interesting I mean, we see him have sex once with a very maladjusted woman in an abandoned house. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's like the leader of a quasi-fascist organisation. Yeah, which doesn't seem to get him any additional, like, sexual interest. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is like a minor player in the book, the Neil Strauss book, The Game, mm. which is like the first big pickup artist bible where, where that's the thing which has all like negging in it and all that shit so that guy went on to set up his own company called real social dynamics mm-hmm. the seedbed of it is pickup but then it grows to basically be a kind of holistic yeah. how to be a strong successful alpha dude and it moves away from like negging and little tricks to like talking about they've got shitloads of videos on youtube yeah and what, i've seen a lot of pickup artist videos oh yeah and watching them fucks your algorithm but they are interesting so there's some very dodgy stuff where there's like like hidden camera footage of them like doing like street harassment or whatever as like an educational tool Mm -hmm. so they'll be like i'll show you how to get women well all of these things come down to just invading people's personal space and hoping to erode people's ability just to say fuck off yeah 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 if there is any trick that is that one it is just crunch the numbers brute force crunch the numbers until one person is like do you know what fine yeah well that's and also these a lot of the guys that are like the gurus of it so presumably like this tyler guy yeah like some of his videos look like he he does that thing where you like rent like a millionaire's house Mm. and pretend it's your house and like walk around in it talking about how you can become alpha yeah but it's never clear it's like they sort of acting like it's their house but they i think they're just in a massive house above la green screen (laughs) (laughs) but they're like subsisting on these guys who are paying to get the thing you know they're going to pay a thousand pounds they're going to go to some event Mm. where six pickup artists will do a set and hype them up make them feel like they can do stuff but then they just kind of stay at the back nervously and they've lost their money Mm -hmm. really all these guys are doing is just playing the numbers game of like street harassing as many people as possible but because it's the only thing they do yeah they get up go to the gym and they go approach women yeah from like 11 a.m to 11 but also that they have a mind it's like an ideology yeah it is this is what i'm saying so it's this the seed you get pickup artistry of red pill and then almost all this other stuff mm. like hardcore free market libertarianism they're all um, around the anti-feminism corner, they? yeah. are all like once you accept that premise everything else yeah. just is a domino off it because they're really really compatible with this idea yeah. that we are all determined to be selfish women's selfishness is that they just want good seed yes and our selfishness is that we want to be that seed but we'll trick their brain into allowing our beta seed <laughs> um <laughs> So just as a footnote to this, the game ends up like snowboarding. Snowballing. Yeah. Snowboarding. SSX tricky. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something not a million miles away that came out in the 90s called The Rules. Mm. So The Rules was a book for women Mm. based on the idea that like men are useless and they don't listen, but we still want to marry one and have a child with one. Mm. Like it was very like upper class New York women is who we're talking about here. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is the way to move that relationship faster, make them to make a commitment to you and settle down with you as soon as possible. Mm. And a lot of it is, it's like, don't play hard to get Mm. and stuff like that are rules about like when you ring and when you don't ring, how far you should go on certain dates. Like we've all heard those as like this, like integral concept that exists in American culture. A lot of these sprung up from this one book of here's how you behave to show that you're like a modest, demure girl that they might want. 
but you're going to move them as fast as possible for a commitment. A lot of it's about like withholding intimacy and sex for certain amounts of time. Oh, Jesus. Um, and it's all incredibly oh, manipulative. Really fr- yeah, but it's really toxic because it's like, mm. it comes from that premise of like, oh, women don't enjoy sex and only use it as a currency to sure, manipulate absolutely. men. Absolutely. And it weaponizes all of that. Yeah, yeah, that's fucked. What their ultimate goal is, which is marriage and offspring. God, that's fucked. Right, it's hardcore patriarchy masquerading. And I as never feminism. see as many people talk about the rules. I mean, Cascus, the rules just was sort of a blip, and it never went anywhere. But as yeah, an it artifact, can turn into an online fascist movement. Well, that probably it, got I think Trump it still exists. Like it was incredibly compatible with, like you know, the religious underpinnings that you know connects a lot of Europe mm. with its like weird behaviour with sex and intimacy. Yeah, like it was compatible with that. But I think it sort of fermented that into these guidelines that are still there. People are aware of them. I think people follow them to some degree. Yeah. And they're both based on this very specific biological determinism, mm. which isn't saying men and women are the same thing. They broadly want the same thing. So why can't they communicate yeah, that yeah. with each other? It is always a set of games that you play to like go behind and do the cheat codes. And like, it's like Game Shark for sex. Game Shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And the thing is that the patriarchy exists is an abstract thing we used to talk about like a very long form history of male oppression but every time a new movement comes within that and people start following it it sort of reifies and cement these things like they're the truth because if Mm -hmm. if i say you're a man and therefore you should behave like this and then you start behaving like that as does every other man Mm. it seems to then cement the idea that oh well men just have to behave like this and women behave like that it's very hard to get beyond that and just be like hey do you want broadly a happy life (laughs) there's a piece in uh, the atlantic in 2014 written by emily s fahani smith uh, and it's basically about the science of relationships okay and profile studies and it basically says the traits to have that determine a long-lasting and successful relationship are kindness and generosity yeah right I mean, do you know what? I'd like to live in a world where that wasn't like, oh my God, what a mindfuck. Yeah, I've got to write an article. Yeah, truth. Yeah, I need to write an article. People need to know this. <laughs> do you know there's meant to be like these six questions you can ask someone and it can trick the brain to falling in love? Which is the best Resident Evil? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pokemon red or blue. Um, <laughs> And you're meant to sit down with someone and look them straight in the eye, take it seriously, and just ask six reasonably personal questions. Yeah. It is said that that can, in a higher, a statistically higher than normal incidence, result in people starting relationships with each other. Should we do it? No. <laughs> like, that's like a, that's like a proto like it's a precursor to be like do you want to go out <laughs> no. shall we do it now <laughs> that's good content fa- i don't want to fall in love what are you worried it's going to work yes <laughs> <laughs> it would be really inconvenient for us to fall in love <laughs> oh no unfortunately it's 36 questions okay. which isn't enough for zippy content but also even if it was six <laughs> i don't want to do it you can't do it to me if i don't want to fall in love you are concerned that these six questions are so powerful that you and i shall fall irreversibly in love if i ask them to you okay so let's say you're asking a different question which is i'm gonna roll a d100 and if it lands on 32 we fall in love <laughs> <laughs> I would say, don't roll that. (laughs) I don't want to play that game. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to... uh... Because also, you'd be like, oh, how did you two meet? I asked him not to roll a dice, but he did anyway. (laughs) 
Well, that's how it started. Yeah, it's hard to explain. <laughs> like, you wouldn't, would you really test that? Would you genuinely test that? For content, I'd do anything. For content. <laughs> that's sick. That's worse than the beta alpha male no, thing. No, I wouldn't really do it for content, but I'm thinking as a listener, you're hearing that, you'll be like, yeah, it's it. very hard You'd for the listener it. to be listening even now and be like, surely they will do that. They wouldn't talk about it for this long and not do it. Yeah, exactly. We've cut, Unless we cut this out, the listener is going to be like, it's eventually 30, Sean's going to It's cave. actually 36 Just questions. pick the top ones. Right. Question one. Okay. Pokemon red or blue? Red. It says answering all questions should take an hour. Answering all questions should take an hour? Yeah, no, look, after 36 hours of talking, you're basically married. Not 36 hours, an hour. Not each individual oh, question. answering all... I thought, why well, you give Sorry, an hour-long yeah, yeah. essay in response to every single question? What the fuck is this? Yeah, oh, right, straight it, out of the gate. If you could invite anyone in the world to dinner, who would it be? This is... Um, Just this my, is, my friends. Yeah, my fucking <laughs> friends, exactly. This is... A, this is... A, this is... A, this is... A, although we do have the same answer. I know, oh, say, well, yeah, what are you uh, doing later? <laughs> <laughs> Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean. Sean Morley's performance is from the BBC Comedy Awards 2016. If you enjoy Mandatory Redistribution Party, please subscribe, share and follow us on Twitter at Mando Party. Thank you for listening. May your day be abundant with kindness and free of wolves. See, you might think you like wolves, but find a gamma wolf in your bins. You'll be phoning the police. You, you, you got yourself a problem.